Well, today we will go ahead and take a look at Matthew chapter 14. So you can please go ahead and open your Bibles up there to Matthew chapter 14. Again, if this is your first time with us or if you just weren't with us the last time that we gathered and you're interested in hearing some previous teachings that we have, they are all available on our webpage at www.aloveoutreach.com and the teachings are also available under the name A Love Outreach if you do a search on YouTube, you'll find us there, A Love Outreach. Uh, You'll click on the picture of a mountain. It's actually Red Mountain. Um, But anyway, you'll click on that picture and you can subscribe to us there and you can get updated to to know when we post new teachings if you're interested. Uh, Also, you can find us on SoundCloud by searching A Love Outreach as well. And we are on iTunes Uh, We do have a Facebook page, though admittedly, I don't do much with the Facebook page, but uh, a love outreach, you can find us under that as well. But again, so uh, today we'll mostly be in Matthew chapter 14. So we'll go ahead now and we'll jump right on into verse 1. It says, At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report, about Jesus. Now, just a brief note here as we get started. This Herod that is mentioned here was Herod Antipas. The the word tetrarch there was a title given to a subordinate ruler, one that shared with three others the rulership of four different regions or areas, right? And when Herod the Great died, his kingdom was divided up into four parts amongst his sons. So this is just one of those Herods, okay? And I won't get too much deeper into that. If you're interested in that, you can find out more information by doing some research and some study on that. But and but this Herod here, he had heard all the talk and all the things that Jesus was doing, and he's getting concerned about it, okay? Verse 2 continues speaking of this Herod and says, And said to his servants, this Herod said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work within him. So you can see here that Herod had a bit of fear within him. Uh, We're about to see here that, that he, Herod, had had John the Baptist killed. And he knew that John was a powerful man of God. So now he's thinking that with all of these miracles and mighty works that this Jesus is doing, that he must be John the Baptist risen from the dead. So Herod is paranoid here about this whole situation. And verse 3 will tell us the backstory here, the story why why Herod was worried here in the way that he was, okay? It says in verse 3, for Herod had laid hold on John, that's John the Baptist, right? And bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had said to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. Okay, so here we see a situation where a man of God, 
John the Baptist stands up for the truth about the sanctity of marriage. And this angers a political leader, and he desires to have the man of God stopped, in this case, put to death. So some things never change, right? It seems as if today, and I'll I'll expound a little bit more on this, but it seems today when you stand for the righteousness of God, the things of God, they want to put a stop to you. They want to put a stop to the truth of the Word of God going forth, like we see going on in our society today in many cases, right? So verse 5, though, continues, And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude, because they counted him as a prophet. So again, a political leader here that cares about how the multitude sees him. Today, political leaders do the same thing by being concerned about the votes that they get here in our society, for example. Right? But Herod here was living in sin, and he wanted John the Baptist killed for speaking against his sin. But he was torn, though, because of what the multitudes or what all the people thought about John the Baptist and what would they think if he did that? How would that affect him politically? Because they, again, they liked John the Baptist. They saw him as a man of God, a prophet. So the story goes on in verse 6, right? The backstory here about why Herod is feeling the way he is. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Therefore, he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. So he now feels pressure around him okay, to do this, right? So he sent and he had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. She brought it to her mother. So here we see a picture well, first of all, of a bunch of gruesome people, right? Filthy people, right? But we also see a picture of a sin-loving man with power. And he's putting a righteous man to death. John was put in prison simply because he stood for righteousness. No other reason. He stood for righteousness. He stood for the sanctity of marriage in this case. Okay? Hebrews 13.4 says that marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. So you see, no matter how our society today changes and no matter what laws political leaders may make in regards to marriage, marriage was designed by God. It's God's design. It was made by him. You can't take it away from him. The way he did it is the way it is. Okay? The way he set it up. And this is why it is called a holy matrimony. Sanctified by God in the way that he originally designed it. 
And let me tell you something. God's design is good. When God created everything, it was good. And it's all good with God. But when we pervert it and when we distort it, it's not good. It's not good. Okay? But even as I say this kind of thing here, as I talk about this kind of thing, there may be people that watch this video someday or hear this audio and they're getting, even as I'm talking about it, they're getting hatred in their heart at me for saying this kind of thing. They don't know me. They don't know my heart. They don't know nothing about me. And I'm going to expound more on the things of Jesus as we go on here. But any time that you stand for the truth of the Word of God and you stand against sin, there will be people that will hate you, as we see with John the Baptist here. Okay? Those that practice sin, they don't want to come to the light. They don't want to walk in righteousness. They don't want to repent. Many feel today that if they could just get rid of those that stand for the things of God, the world would be a better place. So those that stand for truth and righteousness today are called people of hate, called haters. Now, let me show you what Jesus said here concerning some of these things. Go ahead and mark this page and turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And we're going to look down and we're going to start reading in verse 16. Very familiar verses of Scripture. Even for many people that are not familiar with Scripture at all, some of these verses here you've heard. Um, So John chapter 3, verse 16. Again, what does Jesus have to say here? He says, right, the the word of God here says, "For, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. So there we have the foundation that has been laid, right? Mankind, all of us, right, were lost in sin. We're lost in sin in this world. And God sent the solution to the sin problem that we all have. It's a solution that will bring mankind back into a relationship with God, the Creator. Okay? His purpose in sending Jesus, though, wasn't to condemn the world. This is important. His purpose wasn't to condemn the world, but rather to save the world from the sin that will eternally destroy us. Right? There's no hate in God's love. You may look at somebody that, like like. John the Baptist even, who stood against the man and say, oh, it was none of of John the Baptist's business. He should have just kept his nose out of his business and he would have kept his head on his shoulder, right? But John the Baptist was a man of God that stood for righteousness, that stood for truth, okay? And if people, though, profess Christianity today, 
and they do practice hate, let me tell you something, they don't serve the God of the Bible because God is love. The God of all creation is love. But His love doesn't let you remain in sin. His love calls you to repent so that you can have everlasting life, eternal life. Okay? See, God's truth is the truth, and nothing's going to change it. And the truth of God's word and God's love sets a person free. If you hate the truth, don't call those that love the truth haters, just simply because they bring the message to you. He who, verse 18 continues, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So again, Jesus is the answer. Sin condemns all of us to eternal separation from God. But repentance from sin And faith in Jesus Christ saves us, saves us from hell, saves us from our sins, sets us free, and gives us eternal life with the Lord our God. Verse 19 says, And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. We see a picture of this in the story of Herod, don't we? That, that men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. We see that with Herod. He was in a sinful relationship, not honoring the sanctity of marriage. A relationship that was contrary to what God designed marriage to be, okay? So if you're in fornication, then... You're out, you're in darkness, you're in sin. Okay, and, and we need to come to the light that is Jesus Christ. Okay, this again, this Herod was in this in a relationship that was contrary to what God designed marriage to be. He loved darkness and he hated the light, he hated the truth because the the truth stood against his chosen lifestyle, the way he, with his sinful nature, his sinful flesh, wanted to live. The truth stood against it. He wanted the truth put to death. You see, remember this, though. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All need to repent. All need a Savior. There is none righteous, no, not one, the Scripture tells us. And we all need to come to Jesus. We need to Repent of sin, and I'll expound on this more, I'm sure, but we need to repent of our sin. Repent, in case you don't understand what that means, because that word has been thrown around, but it means to turn, to go the other way. You once lived this way, you once walked in a certain way of life, you chose a certain lifestyle, you got to stop. If it's outside of what God says is right, you got to stop, we got to turn from it, and we got to turn unto the Lord, right? And this is the case for any person that is walking in the darkness of sin. They need to come to the light. This is why each and every one of us needs to repent. We need to come to the light that is Jesus. Verse 20 says, For everyone 
practicing evil. Now notice that. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. You see, we all have this choice in life. The choice to come out of the darkness and into the light, or to remain in the darkness and hate the light. Okay? That's the choice we all have. To come out of the darkness into the light through repentance, or to remain in the darkness and hate the light. To come out is to come to faith in Jesus Christ through repentance. Like it says there in verse 21, when a person comes to the light, everything is exposed. There's nothing to hide anymore. Confess our sins. It all comes out, right? We begin living for God instead of living for the darkness of the lust of the flesh. For the sake of time today, I won't have you turn there, but in the New Testament book of Colossians chapter 1, now listen to this. I'm going to read to you from Colossians chapter 1, where it says, that we are to walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to His glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, given thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. It goes on to say in verse 13, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. So the person that has repented and has come to Jesus has come out of darkness. They've come out of one kingdom. They've come out of one way of living, right? And they've come into a new kingdom, the kingdom of God and a new way of living. And this was all made possible because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son because Jesus died for our sin. He shed his blood on the cross for our sin. All of this was made possible. We can come to the light. We can be born again. And Jesus said, you must be born again. So eternal life is for those who turn from darkness and come to the light through faith in Jesus Christ. And as we turn back to Matthew chapter 14, this wasn't the case for Herod. He did not repent, but rather remained in the darkness of sin. And John the Baptist was the victim of a man that loved the darkness and hated the light. Like John the Baptist, those that preach Jesus, those that preach righteousness, even in this present age, are hated by those that love the darkness of their sin. And Satan, the God of this age, as Scripture calls him, uses these people today to call the lovers of the truth, the lovers of the Word of God, haters. Satan is a great twister of the truth. He's a liar. 
See, today when you preach holy living and you preach righteousness and you preach living in accordance with the Word of God, this is the greatest form of love that is on the earth today. Why do I say that? Because it saves a soul from eternal damnation. If they would hear the message, if they would listen, if they would only receive. So there's no greater love than that. You have eternal life with the Lord God. It is what John the Baptist preached. He preached righteousness. It was what Jesus and and his disciples preached. And the truth of God must be preached today, no matter the cost. The greatest love of all is in Jesus Christ. And there is no hatred in that message of love. Coming to Jesus is the only way to peace. It's the only way to true love, the only way to joy, and it is the only way to heaven. John was killed for preaching righteousness, but what happened? Did the word of God stop? Sure hasn't. Still going on to this very day. It's still the same. It can't be stopped. It can be legislated out of schools like we've done here in America. And the preachers of the word of God can be thrown into prison and killed. But the truth of God will remain. It doesn't change. The light of Jesus will forever shine. The truth of the word of God just goes on and on and on. Here in Matthew chapter 14, the story of John the Baptist continues down in verse 12. Then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. Now, you see, you know, Herod didn't like multitudes of people following someone else. He wanted multitudes of people bowing down to him. Okay. And you see, eventually we know from the scriptures that Jesus will be killed as well, right? Preaching the truth, preaching righteousness. Religious, hypocritical, sin-loving people will ultimately put him to death. When we study Matthew chapter 15, we'll see more of that. We'll see of the Pharisees and the scribes confronting Jesus constantly around every corner. Right? We've seen it throughout Matthew already. Right? And here in verses 12 and 13, we see, though, that, that that time has not yet come. It wasn't time for Jesus to be killed yet. So Jesus still had more to do on the earth, so he fled away, got away from there in order to keep himself alive until his appointed time. People were still coming to him, and he still had compassion to show on people, which, by the way, is... The same reason that this world as we now know it has not yet come to an end. Jesus hasn't returned yet. Why? Because he's still showing compassion. He's still reaching out to you today in love, giving you the opportunity to repent and come unto him. And the reason that I say this is found in 2 Peter chapter 3, where it says, and I want to read a lot again here. You can turn there if you like, 2 Peter chapter 3, but I'm not going to wait for you here just for the sake of time here. 
But in 2 Peter chapter 3, in verse 3, it says this, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, okay? Picture that, people that are living in sin, walking in according to their own lust, hating the preaching of the truth, hating the word of God, calling it hate, right? And and they're going to be scoffers. And they're going to be saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, in other words, since it's been a long time, right? They say all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Again, I'm reading from 2 Peter chapter 3. And it goes on to say, For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. And people today willfully forget that. They willfully forget that. In other words, they say, ah, that's just the old story. That's just, oh, that's not true. This is what scoffers say. You say things like that, you're one of those scoffers, okay? But the heavens... Verse 7 goes on in in 2 Peter. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word. In other words, everything that still exists is still preserved by the word. That word that I said is never going to fail. Holds all things together. It says, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of unrighteousness godly men, but beloved, do not forget this one thing. So when they're walking around saying, ah, that's not true, and oh, where's the coming of Jesus? You've been saying that forever and all that. He says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack, Concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. So judgment and damnation is indeed coming, but for now the Lord is long suffering. He is showing compassion and he's giving people time to repent. And here again in Matthew chapter 14, now if you turn to 2 Peter, turn back, Matthew chapter 14 and verse 14, it goes on and it says, And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and he healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass and he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples and the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Isn't it amazing though what 
compassion can do? Think about what we are seeing here in these scriptures. We're talking about repentance and we're talking about righteousness. The word of God is full of these truths, but the word of God made flesh, Jesus Christ, is full of compassion as well. Yes, he calls people to repent and to turn from the darkness of this world and be saved, but he didn't go around hating people. He loved people. He showed compassion on people. People are lost in sin. There was a time in my life I was lost in sin. And somebody cared enough to share the gospel message with me, to tell me about Jesus. I mean, I was a sinner, and I even tormented that man that shared it with me and mocked him and such. I was lost. I was in darkness. But I gave my life to Jesus. I came to the light, to the love of God. Okay? But Jesus was a man of compassion. He loved people. He loves you today, no matter where, where you are. Again, I don't know who's ever seen this video, if, if many people at all will ever. But God loves you. Okay? He ripped into religious hypocrites, but he had compassion on the multitudes. Yes, righteousness. Again, righteousness is to be preached without wavering. But Jesus is the example of a perfect balance of love and truth. Through a miracle, he fed well over 5,000 people. And this isn't the only time that he did something like this. The majority of these people will not repent of their sin, though, and come to him. The majority of the people that he has compassion on here will not repent and come to him. We know this from the scriptures, that the majority of people that were following him around will one day turn away from him and walk away. John 6, 66, because his words got a little too hard for them. They thought this whole thing of, hey, yeah, somebody that feeds us, you know, give us free food and multiply our food. Maybe you can make us wealthy. Maybe you can be our, our earthly political king here on the earth. You know, we, we like you for all of that, Jesus. But when he began to cut a little bit deeper with his word, they fell away. And some of these people that are amongst him here will probably be part of that crowd that will someday in the future not not our future, but Jesus' future here, they'll be the ones yelling, crucify him, crucify him. But he had compassion on them anyway. And you know what? This is the way, compassion is the way that a born-again Christian should live today. Now, I understand that there are many people that profess to be Christians, and they're hypocrites. They don't show love. They're haters. Maybe they truly are haters, you know? I don't know. I'm not judging anybody's heart, but I'm just saying I'm sure this exists. Maybe you know somebody that was a Christian and they live like a hypocrite, you know? But the true born-again Christian, and we'll, we'll see that when we study uh, the next chapter as well, Matthew chapter 15, I'm going to talk about in that study how a tree is, is known by its fruit, right? I want to bring that up again, right? What a real Christian is, is somebody that's really like Jesus, okay? 
but the person that is born again, they should have the, the practice of sin in their past. And they should be living righteously and godly in this present age. But in addition to this, we should be having love and compassion for the needs of the people in the world today. And the hope is that to get them to see the light, to leave the darkness and to come to Jesus. But whether they do or not, this should not prevent us from being people of love and compassion. It's important that we understand this balance in the Lord. Because if we claim to be followers of Him, like I said, we must be like Him. Let's read some more. Immediately, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made His disciples get into the boat and go before Him to the other side, while He sent the multitudes away. And when He had sent the multitudes away, He went up on a mountain by Himself to pray. Now, when evening came, He was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled by, they were troubled saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. It is I, do not be afraid. Now, we know that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are called the Synoptic Gospels, meaning that they are four accounts of all the workings of Jesus. And I want to show you something from Mark's Gospel. So I want you to go ahead and mark this page, because we're going to come back to it again, but turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Okay, we're going to look at that same story that I just read a little bit more in depth, and, and we're going to look at Mark's account of it, where we see where we get more light shed on it, so to speak, right? Mark chapter 6, and let's start reading down in verse 47. Speaking of Jesus, verse 47 says, Now when the evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he, Jesus, right, was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Same thing we saw over in Matthew, right? Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. So here we get a little bit more information, right? We see that the disciples were straining at rowing. And you got to picture this, right? And Jesus is just casually walking as if, I'm just going to pass them by. The wind, the waves, gravity, none of that had any effect on Jesus, okay? The Lord, unlike us, is limited by nothing at all. Having only five loaves and two fish to feed thousands upon thousands meant nothing to Jesus at all. It was no big deal. It was a big deal for his disciples, but not for him. At verse 49, and when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure. Can you imagine? It says, and they marveled. Like, what in the world? 
Verse 52, for they had not understood about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. So you see, when it says there that they not understood about the loaves because their hearts were hardened, this speaks to the fact that they were not yet understanding the true power of Jesus. Again, he had just taken five loaves of bread and two fish and fed thousands upon thousands of people. To see him now walking on the water should have been no big deal at all to them if they really knew who he was. They they should have had the attitude, what can't this man, what can he do? Right When they got into the boat and they left the shoreline, Jesus told them, go to the other side. Jesus, God in the flesh, working all these miracles amongst them. They're seeing his power. He told them, go to the other side. Was it even going to be remotely possible that they would have not made it to the other side? If he told them to go, was it even going to be remotely possible that they would have not made it through this storm? But they had hard hearts still. They still didn't fully understand who Jesus was. He was God in their midst. And they were going to the other side. He was with them no matter the storms of life. Today, the follower, the true disciple of Jesus must realize this as well. He is with you come what may. The biggest storms, life's toughest situations. He can be trusted through it all. He can be believed through it all. We can rest in Him through it all. You see, He wants us to fight the fight of faith. Nowhere does the Bible tell us that a life of faith will be easy. If anyone's telling you that, if anyone's telling you to come to Jesus and it's going to be easy street, they're not telling you the truth. I've walked with the Lord 34 years. It's not been easy, not been easy at all. Faith is a fight. The disciples, they kept rowing and rowing as they should. But one way or the other, they were going to make it to the other side because God, the Lord Jesus, had told them that that was where they were going, to the other side. Today, the followers of the Lord are in a place where we are just passing through. We're going to the other side. That's our home. We're going to be with Jesus, our eternal home. You know, sin in this world, sin runs rampant. Persecutions come. Standing for the Lord is not easy. Standing for the truth of the word of God gets you called a hater sometimes, even when they don't even sit down and get to know why you came to Christ or or why You're teaching or reaching out to them with the word of God. Got John the Baptist killed, didn't it? It got Jesus killed as well. And the disciples of Jesus and many others since that time have been killed for their faith in the Lord. There are difficult times in this world, times where we just need to keep on rowing. Jesus said we would have tribulation in this world, but we must keep rowing. But while we row, we can know that Jesus will show himself faithful in our lives. 
He'll be with us through it all. He wants us, though, to be people of faith, people who stay the course and keep pressing on, fighting against sin in this world, fixing our eyes on Jesus till we're someday with him. And as we flip back to Matthew chapter 14, picking it up in verse 28, and Peter answered and said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Again, I just took you to Mark to show you that account. We're back here in Matthew. Peter says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him saying, truly, you are. The Son of God. So the five loaves and the two fish didn't convince them who Jesus really was. Their hearts were still hardened at that point. But now they knew. Now they were convinced, it seems. You see, we need trials in our lives in order to see the hand of the Lord at work in our lives. If life is all on easy street, we'll never see the strength of the Lord at work in Our lives, in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. And we need to praise him in the storm. Thank him that he is faithful and that he is with us, us, right? And that there's no need for us to be afraid. Peter was an example to us here that we need not doubt. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus and not the storms. He told Peter to come. If he had just walked by faith with his eyes on Jesus, he would not have sunk. The same holds true for us today. Stay the course of faith until you are in his arms. Stay the course of faith until you are in his arms. Again, it's not easy. Jesus never said it would be, but he is faithful and always will be. There is so much to see and so much to learn from this story. If I keep expounding on it, we could be here all day. I encourage you, though, to read this again and to study it for yourself and to meditate on it as you should the word of God. Ask the Lord to speak to your heart through his word. And to take a look at your own heart today. And where are you as a soul? Where are you? Let's go ahead and finish out the chapter. Jesus had more work to do himself and more for his disciples to do as well. So they all pressed on. And verse 34 tells us that when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all that surrounding region, brought to him him, all who were sick and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it, were made perfectly well. So for those of you that have repented, 
and have come to faith in Jesus. He is still available through faith for you to reach out and touch today. Faith is the way to him, though. We walk by faith as Christians, not by sight. He is our Lord and He is with us through every storm of life and through every good day as well, right? But for those of you that have not repented, have not come to faith in Jesus Christ, He is there for you to reach out and touch as well. He has compassion and love for you. You're the reason He hasn't come back yet. You're part of the reason. He's long-suffering. He's wanting you to come unto Him. He wants you to find rest for your soul. He said, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All of you who are burdened, Jesus wants to give you rest for your soul, freedom from sin. He wants to feed you. He want, that is, He wants to nourish you today with the truth of His Word. He wants to set you free from sin and death. He wants to bring you out of the darkness that your sin-led life has led you into. And He wants you to come into His glorious light. He will forgive you of your sins if you are willing to repent. If anyone preaches the gospel to you, and leaves out repentance. Again, they're telling you a lie. You've got to repent to come unto Jesus. You know, the day of His coming again is drawing nearer and nearer. Again, there'll be scoffers about that, right? But again, He is long-suffering. He is not willing that any should perish. And even if His coming is delayed even longer and longer, you're still getting closer to death you're still getting closer to that day when you're going to face Him. The Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. So you can do that now because then it'll be too late. You're going to do it, but it'll be too late because Jesus will say at that time, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, Lord God, we thank you for your word. And I pray that as your word has gone forth today, as we've read it, as we've seen it, as we've heard it, Lord, that it will have its effect in our souls, Lord, that we will be a people that seek you, that people would turn from their sin, turn from the darkness, come out of the darkness and into the glorious light to come into your kingdom, Jesus. Thank you for your great love, Lord, that you are long-suffering, that you are patient, that you are compassionate, that you are kind, Lord, and you understand, you know that we fall short. That's why you shed your blood for us, Jesus. But the way has been provided. The way to eternal life is you, Jesus. You are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes into the kingdom of God. No one comes into heaven, Jesus, but by you. Grant repentance, Lord, to those that hear this message, Lord. 
Cause us all, Lord, to fix our eyes all the more on you as we see the day approaching, Lord, of your coming again, or us bowing before you. Thank you again for all this time here in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.